So now we're going to be a little more uh, practical or clinical, if you want. Although I will give you some data that might seem not clinically relevant, but you will see that all these characteristics, all the characteristics of the radio tracer that we are uh, injecting in practice, it's very important because all these characteristics drive or they were uh, the source of all the protocols that we are using. So this is why these characteristics can be very important. And uh, I'll try again to emphasize the uh, clinical portion or the clinical relevancy of the data that we will uh, see. So we will review the ideal or the characteristics of the ideal radio tracer for myocardial perfusion imaging, their physiological characteristics, the associated diagnostic accuracy, the relative advantages and disadvantages, and we will conclude on these uh, tracers before having the uh, question period. So as you all know, thallium has been used since more than uh, 30 years, and uh, well, we started in 1977, so this is a long time ago. It has been a major radiopharmaceutical in nuclear cardiology. It has been the agent that we all compare to with the new tracers. So every time we had the new tracers on board, it was the gold standard, if you want. So, and all the protocols uh, that we are using these days with technetium agents, we, we always compare to the protocol, the, the acquisition protocol that we were using with thallium. Uh, all the biological characteristics of thallium are very well known. But unfortunately, the major problem was the uh, physical characteristics that we saw with uh, thallium. And this is why the development of uh, technetium myocardial perfusion imaging agents was uh, at some point desirable, but at some point also essential, because all our gamma camera are geared to detect the 140 keV uh, gamma rays and not what we have with thallium. So this is why it was very important. And this is why about uh, 20, 25 years ago, uh, all the companies had their own technetium label microbial perfusion imaging compound in their pipeline. And I will go through those that have been approved, those that you are using every day, but you will see that there were many, many of them that were uh, studied in phase two and phase three. So let's start with the uh, characteristics of the ideal radio tracer for MPI. The first thing is to make sure that we have an agent with a very high microdial extraction and a high retention. Why is that? It's very simple. If you inject a radio tracer, you want to make sure that, and you want to study the heart, you want to make sure that it will remain fixed within the heart during the duration of the acquisition. But at the same time, you want to have the highest target to background ratio. If you have an agent that will show only 0.05% of the injected dose going into the heart. That means that 99% of the rest is going elsewhere. And it's likely that you're gonna have liver, you're gonna have some kidney, you're gonna have lung uptake, etc. So you don't want that. So you want to have an agent with a very high microbial extraction, but also retention. Because we have seen in uh, research many very, very good agents. The extraction fraction was close to 90%. That means that every time you have a first pass of the tracer within the heart, 90% of the agent was retained, was, was uh, extracted. The problem is that the retention was about one minute. That means that very high extraction, but no retention. So this is not very good. So this is why we have an agent that will show both extraction 
and retention high enough that, we'll, uh, that we're going to be able to do a study easily on them. The second very important parameter is to make sure that you have a linear relationship or as linear as possible relationship between the uptake in the heart and the coronary blood flow, especially at high flow rates. What does this mean? It's very simple. If you have a blood flow of one ml per minute per gram of tissue and you inject your tracer, you want to have a close relationship between that uptake and the extraction of the radio tracer and your blood flow. If you increase by four, for example, you would like to have an agent that will increase the concentration into the heart by a factor of four. Unfortunately, that doesn't exist in clinical practice, and I will show you uh, why and uh, the characteristic. But this is what we want. We want to have a very close linear relationship, as close as possible, uh, to make sure that we have this uh, uh, good relationship between the uptake and the coronary blood flow. And the reason why we insist at high flow rates is because, as you know, I don't know in the United States, but in Canada, about 70% of all the studies are done with farm stress. And with farm stress, we increase slightly more your coronary blood flow in comparison to the treadmill stress test. So if you increase your blood flow, you want to make sure that you're going to see the decreased uptake corresponding to that. So this is very important, and especially with farm stress. We also want to have an agent with a low extracardiac activity. So by low extracardiac activity, we mean if it's possible to have an agent with no long uptake or with very few liver uptake since the heart is very close. And in, also in the past, we had very, very good agent that showed high increased cardiac uptake. Unfortunately, there was also a high increased long uptake or liver uptake. So obviously, this is not very good for our imaging stuff. If it's possible, and it's not necessarily ideal, but having a micro redistribution is always interesting. That means that if you have an agent, for example, that has a half-life of one to two hours, that means that you inject your patient at stress, you do the study. If it's abnormal, then you wait one or two hours, and you re-inject at rest, and then you're going to be able to have that. This is if you have to inject twice. But with a microdial redistribution with one or two hours, you don't have to re-inject your patient. So like with thallium. But with thallium, we know that the microdial redistribution is quite variable, and we don't have that kind of agent. But ideally, it would be very interesting to have some degree of uh, significant redistribution, like snapshot we just click the fingers and then it will disappear. That will be great, but uh, not for this year. And ideally, also label to technician because, again, technician is really readily available, relatively cheap, and it's very easy to manipulate, and we know pretty well the chemistry and the radiochemistry of uh, technician pertechnitate, so that would be very convenient. And, of course, easy and stable labeling. So when you prepare your agent, you want to make sure that the stability will be good at least for the day. So if you start preparing, preparing your agent in the morning, you want to make sure that the agent will be sta stable throughout the day so that we can use the same vial throughout the day. So that, that summarizes the uh, characteristics of the ideal radio tracer. So now when we compare uh, two radio tracers for microdial perfusion imaging, uh, we have to consider several factors. So every time we had a new agent 
we always went through all these steps of comparison between these compounds. First one, of course, physical characteristics, so radioisotopes. So again, if you have a technetium-labeled compound versus thallium versus fluorine 18 versus rubidium, etc., you want to compare the advantages and disadvantages of the characteristics of the radioisotope that you're going to use for your microbial perfusion imaging agent. You must also consider the preparation and the QC procedures because we had some agents in the past that were very good, but the QC was very long, very tedious process. And if it takes, for example, more than 10 or 15 minutes to do, uh, if you have a one technologist uh, do, doing the QC and it takes one hour, this is not very good. So you have also to compare and to see if it is easy or not. We have also to consider the biological characteristics of the compound. So do we have some degree of uh, redistribution or do we know the biodistribution and is it a good biodistribution? Uh, how about the myocardial uptake? Is it a low or high myocardial uptake? Same thing for myocardial retention. And most importantly, this relationship between the uptake and flow. And I will show you some curves later on. Imaging characteristics, very important because this is what we are doing in practice. So we want to image the patient. So we want to make sure that all these basic characteristics of these compounds correspond to something that would be viable in clinical practice. So for example, we must consider the timing between the intravenous injection and the imaging. If you inject an agent and you have to wait four hours, it's not very convenient. And the same thing, if you inject an agent and then you have to image very quickly after the injection because you have only 10 minutes, that will not leave any room for mistakes. So, and we know in practice that sometimes we have gamma camera problems or computer problems and we have to repeat. So this is something we have to consider. We have to consider the myocardial redistribution. Is it a fast redistribution? Is it a long redistribution? And also the level of adjacent organ uptake. So the same thing, and I will show you some example with NOET, that in some patients we had a fixed liver uptake, which can be really problematic uh, when it comes for diagnosis of the inferior or inferior septal wall. We must, of course, assess the diagnostic accuracy. It's not because, for example, three agents are labeled to technetium that they're going to give you the same diagnostic accuracy, especially sensitivity, specificity, the extent and severity of perfusion defect, the relationship between exercise versus pharmacologic. We had very good agent, good for farm stress, but when you apply with treadmill or the opposite, then it will not be as great. So we must be sure that we can make a same assessment between the exercise and farm stress. Is it good for prognosis and viability? So that goes with the diagnostic accuracy. Uh, the dosimetry, the dosimetry, as you know, uh, becomes a very sensitive issue in some European countries now. They consider a very strict, very rigorous limit. And as you know, like in Germany now, they start to have, when you do a report of your nuclear medicine tests, for example, if you read a system maybe or tetrophosphate test, and you use a, a CT scan also at the same time, you're gonna have to report the amount of radioactive, uh, radioactivity or exposure that your patient had. So you can imagine if you start doing many studies in the same patient, it will add on, and the, uh, it is likely that in the next uh, four or five years, we're gonna see that in uh, North America, because even in Canada, they start now asking us in radiology to give the amount of radiation exposure that the patient receive. 
uh, they do that because they want to make sure that a patient will not, will not have unnecessary diagnostic procedures. So you can imagine if we start doing that, it will increase. So we want to make sure that our agent that we are using will give a reasonable uh, level of radiation dosimetry to the patient. Extent of, clinical ex extent of clinical experience, of course, it goes with when you have a, a new agent, uh, it starts being low, but after that, we're gonna have much more experience. And the cost effectiveness, you want to have an agent that will be relatively cheap to, if you use that in a general extent, that will give you very good results without compromising the diagnostic accuracy, obviously. So the radiotracer that we have actually that have been approved by the FDA for injection into humans, we have thallium, system AB, or cardiolite, which, come, which came initially uh, in 1991 in the United States, uh, then tibaroxim, which was the second one uh, in the United States, if I recall, it was in 94, so it was approved, uh, I'm sorry, tetrophosphine was approved in 94. Tibaroxim and system AB were approved at the same time, within one month of each other. Uh, the reason why we uh, don't use tiboroxim is because of some of these uh, imaging characteristics, and I will show you why, but this is an approved, an FDA-approved agent, and now that we have very fast acquisition protocols and also very fast uh, gamma cameras with protocols, it is likely that tiboroxim will come back uh, maybe in very specific niche, but it, it is likely that we're gonna see that again. Under investigation, I should say now they are not under investigation anymore, Fury Fossman and Noet, and again, I will explain why we're not, not using them now. So if we look at the uh, extraction into the isolated uh, rabbit heart model, uh, of course, this is not clinical, but that will give you, when you look at that chart, you can say which agent will be good, which agent will be less good, because this will show you the net uptake in the heart. So the, the Emax is the maximum extraction. So this is the first pass extraction. So when we inject, for example, the rabbit heart, when we inject the heart, we look at the amount of activity that will remain into the myocardium after the first pass. So this is the maximal extraction. And then we have the PS cap, which is the permeability surface capillary area. So the larger, it will be, the larger it will be better. And the E-net is the net extraction. So this is what is most important. So you can have high extraction, but as you can see, there's some degree of uh, lack of retention, and then it will go away, and that will give the net extraction. So if you compare all these uh, agents, as you can see here, tiboroxin, so this is the agent that I told you was approved at the same time than system AB, but uh, not used in clinical practice. As you can see, this is a very good agent, just only for the extraction part of it, very good, because you have 81% extraction maximum, and we have 67 of ENET. So this is the agent with the highest net extraction. If you compare, for example, thallium with 0.57 versus system AB 0.41 versus tetrophosphine 0.32, and furifosphine only 0.12, or no at 0.24, you can see that tiboroxin based on that is very good. 
but you will see also that we cannot use only one factor, one parameter. We have to see all the other parameters coming around. But this is certainly the first one that we check. So, for example, if you have an agent with very, very low net extraction, close to zero, this is not something that you're going to use in practice, that's for sure, and even in research. So to give you an example, every time you have an agent that has been approved, you have approximately 150 agents that have been tested and not used even in phase one because, unfortunately, the uptake is not that high. So this is what I told you, the relationship between the uh, blood flow and the uh, tracer uptake. And this is uh, probably uh, the single most important parameter uh, because that will reflect you what will happen in, uh, reflect uh, to you what will happen in practice. So if we compare the tracer uptakes, so this is in percentage versus the uh, microbial blood flow, so if you compare uh, low level, so that means normal rest, and then you increase at exercise and after stress, theoretically, this is what you are looking for. So every time you increase by a factor of one or two, you want your uptake to increase by a factor of one or two. But unfortunately, we have what we uh, call the plateauing effect at high flow rates. That means that after a certain level, after a certain flow rate, you don't have any more direct uh, linear relationship with your uptake. That means that even though you are increasing your blood flow, you will not increase the amount of activity into your heart. So this is why it's important specifically with uh, farm stress, because with farm stress, this is where we are playing around. So approximately four to five times the blood flow at rest. So you want to make sure that every time you increase, you're going to have this same increase in the uh, uptake. So this is a table showing uh, what we have, so the relationship between the tracer uptake and microbial blood flow. So here, again, we have the uptake, and I'm sorry I cut the, uh, the axis values, but this is like, for example, here, one, two, three, four, so that corresponds to what we see here. So we have only one agent that will show you that linear relationship, and it is water labeled to oxygen 15, but this is not something that we're using in practice, and I will show you why later on. And now if you, if you compare all the other agents, the, the first one that will be very close to that linear relationship will be tibaroxin. So again, this is the agent I showed you before with the eye extraction, which has been approved at the same time but the, with, then with MIBI, but I will show you why uh, we're not using it. Then we have thallium, and after that we have nitrogen, rubidium, system EB, tetrophosmin, and the other agents are coming down here. So this is the way that we see if we're going to have very good agents. So for example, uh, we see that at very high flow rates, uh, our uh, system EB or tetrophosmin will be much lower than what we see with thallium, and this is why sometimes the, it seems that the uh, sensitivity of uh, technetium label agent compared to thallium is slightly lower, specifically with farm stress. It's because we don't have this linear relationship between the two. Now, the basic characteristics of these compounds, as you can see here, uh, most of them are cationic complex or cation. So, for example, thallium, system EB, are cation, tetrophosmin, furifosmin. And this is why these agents, this is a major reason why these agents will be uh, 
uh, will show an uptake by the heart, it's because of their cationic, uh, specifically for system AB and tetrophosphamine, because these are a cation, and because of their charge, they will be retained into the mitochondria of the heart. Uh, the diffusion limitation and the effective dose equivalent, uh, this is something that we, diffusion limitation, this is what I told you about, this is the linear relationship or the, the, the relationship between the uptake and the blood flow, and as you can see, tiberoxim is very high, while thallium system EB are relatively similar. Tetrophosphamine, furifosphamine, less, but NOET, very similar to thallium. And in fact, we call the NOET the technetium, uh, the technetium labeled thallium uh, agent because it's very close to uh, thallium, but it is labeled with technetium. The effective dose equivalent, so this is the RAM per dose that we are injecting. So again, this is becoming very very popular because we want to, to decrease the dose that we inject. So as you can see, we are all about the same range, approximately uh, 0.85 RAM per dose that we are injecting, while tiboroxime is slightly uh, more than the other. Uh, so the uptake is very good, but unfortunately it stays, it stays, the clearance is not very high. Now, we all want to, to know about the molecular kinetics in, in human because this is basically what will uh, drive your protocol, your acquisition protocol, your imaging protocol. So we have three agents that shows microbial redistribution. We have thallium, we have tiboroxim, and we have NOET. So system AB and tetrophosphine, this is not, not real significant redistribution. So you, you cannot use the same protocol than with thallium. Furifosmin uh, will not be used, uh, so, but this is no redistribution. The percentage of uptake, so this is the percentage of the injected dose. When we ask the question to many people, and if we ask, okay, what is the percentage of thallium that will go in the heart? Some people, many people usually will say, oh, it can be up to 10%. It's not 10%. It's only 3 to 4%. It cannot be more than the uh, coronary blood flow which is about that level. Uh, system EB is about 1.2% of the injected dose. Tiboroxim, relatively high, 2 to 3%. Tetrophosphamine is lower than System EB. Furifosphamine is lower too. And NOET is about the same than with System EB. And now if we look at the clearance half-life in the heart, with thallium, the half-life in the heart is about three to four hours. So this is the, roughly the microbial redistribution. While with System EB, it's about uh, more than seven hours. And now with the baroxim, this is the problem. The half-life in the heart is about seven to nine minutes. That means that you have to be very quick to do the acquisition. And if you go back 20 years ago, the gamma camera that we had, the software that we had, didn't allow us to use that kind of agent because we didn't have any room for mistake, okay? If you miss your acquisition, you're done. And even during the acquisition, the uptake in the heart, within the heart, was changing. So you can imagine if you, have, if you want to do a data reconstruction, it was very difficult because some part of the heart were already gone when you were there. So that was a real problem. But now with the new Gamma camera, it is likely that it will be uh, possible to use this agent. Tetrophosphine, furifosphine, it's more than uh, six hours. And NOET, it's like with thallium, two to three hours. So half-life in the heart of about two to three hours, and there is redistribution. So as you can see, NOET is very similar to thallium. 
Just a word about effective half-life, because this is a concept that is uh, very important. The uh, half-life concept uh, denotes the uh, having of radioactive material in living organs. So it's not only the physical half-life, but it takes into consideration the biological excretion. So this is something that we must take into consideration, because in radiation dosimetry, it's not only the radioactive decay that is important, but also the biological excretion. So for example, if you have an agent with uh, fast radioactive decay, but it stays in the heart for the rest of the life, of course, that will increase the dosimetry in comparison to an agent that will be excreted too. So the way that we calculate that, so it's the definition. So one divided by the half-life, effective half-life, so this is the way we can calculate it, equals one divided by the physical half-life plus one divided by the, by, by the biological half-life. So that will give you the effective half-life. And every time we're talking about radiation dosimetry, we are referring to this effective half-life and not only the physical or biological half-life. So as you can imagine, it is very important like in the heart because you see that all these different agents have different, uh, different behaviors. Now some of the uh, technical and uh, imaging characteristics. So for example, um, if we look at the labeling, so for thallium, this is not a problem. It's readily available. You just have to inject. With system AB, you have to boil it for 10 minutes. Tiboroxim, you have to boil it for 15 minutes. Tetrophosmin, or MyoView, you don't have to boil it, so just do it at room temperature for 15 minutes. Furifosmin, you had to boil it, and no wet, it's at room temperature. So again, quite different. Beginning of imaging, of course, it depends always on what you want to do, but for diagnostic purposes, beginning of imaging, it's not, less, it's not more than 15 minutes. This is a mistake. It's less than 15 minutes here for thallium. For systemib, it depends on your protocol, but you can start as early as 15 minutes up to 60 minutes if it is farm stress. Tiboroxim, you don't have the choice. Since your half-life is seven to nine minutes, you have only a few minutes to do the acquisition, so you have to start very quickly. Tetrophosmin, between 15 to 30 minutes. Same thing for furifosmin, no at about 20 minutes. And the time to complete a study, that means both rest and stress protocol. Most of them are about four to five, four to six hours, except for tiboroxim, that can be completed within one to two hours. So this is roughly the same thing, again, if you use the same day protocol for both injections. Now, if you compare the number of microbial counts, and this is very important, especially if you want to use the new software when you decrease the acquisition time because you're going to have some depth recovery and st stuff like that. Uh, if we say that thallium is our gold standard and we say that this, these counts are acceptable or adequate, if we compare with system AB, for example, system AB, the counts will be very high. Uh, the tiboroxin will be transiently high because of the half-life of seven to nine minutes. Tetrophosmin, it will be high. Furifosmin, high. Noet, high. The difference between system AB and tetrophosmin for that is the uptake. The uptake is slightly about 15% less into the myocardium with tetrophosmin than with system EB. So if you inject the same patient with system EB and tetrophosmin, you're going to see an average of 15 to 20% difference in counts over the myocardium. It's because the extraction is lower with tetrophosmin than with system EB. First pass, 
Of course, you can try to do first pass with Thallium, but you're going to need very special gamma camera to do that. System AB, of course. With the baroxim, and this is an example, we thought that, okay, since we have a technetium label agent, it will be very easy to do a first pass study. But very rapidly, we re realized that it was not true because uh, I did comparison between system AB and tetrophosphine, uh, tetrophosphine first pass, and it was quite different. The reason why is because we have a very significant lung uptake initially with tiboroxin. So that means that if you inject your patient, your lung uptake is so high for a few minutes that it will be very difficult to do a first pass study. So it's not because you have a technician label agent that you are able to do a first pass study. That's very important. For uh, tetrophosphine, furifosphine, you can do that. The same thing with NOET. With NOET, very significant initial long uptake, so you cannot do your first pass study. Gated spec, you can do that with everyone. I said I put here no with tiboroxim, but again, now with, with the new gamma camera, it will be possible to do gated spec, even though it's only five minutes acquisition, but it's feasible. So if we summarize the data that we had for each of these agents, with Thallium 201, we're going to start with the uh, advantages. Uh, thallium, we use it since uh, 1977, so uh, we, we have a very uh, extensive experience with it, uh, clinical experience and also basic science experience. Again, uh, it has been a major radiopharmaceutical in nuclear cardiology. We have well-known diagnostic, prognostic, predictive values, etc. And it's widely used for microbial viability assessment. And we don't need to have any kind of specific preparation. It's ready to use, so very simple, very convenient. Good biological characteristics. We have redistribution, so most of the time one injection will be enough. It has a high first-pass extraction. And we have good correlation with hyperemic zones, especially at a high flow rate, so this is what we want. I put it standard scheduling because when we started to use technician label compound, we always compare these new agents to thallium because thallium was the working horse. And reasonable cost, it depends what you call reasonable cost. So limitation, of course, suboptimal image quality because of the low energy. We're talking about 80 keV in comparison to 140 keV, although we have uh, 160, but it's less, 170, it's less than uh, technician. And we have a significant soft tissue attenuation. So if we compare data that we had initially uh, comparing thallium versus system EB, we uh, rapidly realized that the technetium labeled compound gave a much higher specificity because of the soft tissue attenuation. Uh, very significant with thallium and very, uh, we still see that with technetium, but it is less significant than with thallium. Increased asymmetry because of the type of radiation and the prolonged half-life. So we're talking six hours versus 72 hours, so it makes a huge difference. And because of that, because of the increased asymmetry, we had to decrease the injected dose. Uh, when we decrease the injected dose and where we, when we are limited to four millicurie per injection, then of course it will decrease the photon flux, it will increase the imaging time, and it's a limited uh, gated spec. We can do gated spec very easily with thallium, but it's not the same quality, not the same image quality than what we have with technetium. In some patients, many uh, people have described variable redistribution. That means that when we were doing studies at 10 minutes or 15 minutes after the injection, then we were missing some of the ischemia because of this rapid redistribution. 
And in some country, we had limited availability because we have to ship those thallium. If you recall, this is produced by uh, accelerator, and you cannot, it's not each country which have access to um, thallium, but they have access to technician by the generator. So System AB came on board in uh, 1919, 1991. The major advantages, of course, optimal imaging characteristic for spec that gave a better diagnostic overall accuracy, maybe slightly less or lower sensitivity in comparison to thallium, but much higher specificity. It allowed us for the first time to do simultaneous perfusion and function studies because at that time, of course, it was difficult to do with thallium. So now we can do gated spec, we can do first pass studies with it very easily. And at the time of its introduction 20 years ago, uh, it was the first time that we were able to use uh, those kind of agents for assessment of thrombolysis because there's no redistribution. So it was possible to inject the patient at the uh, CCU or the emergency department and wait until we stabilize the patient and then do the images. Same thing for unstable angina or acute coronary syndrome. So it was uh, very exciting. Also, because of the lack of redistribution, uh, the acquisition can be repeated if necessary. So for example, if there is any kind of instrumentation malfunction, uh, significant patient motion, uh, then you can just repeat. Because in some patient, most of the time, if you have a significant patient motion artifact, you can correct uh, uh, with software. But in some occasion, if it is too much, you have to repeat the acquisition. So if you have system AB on board or tetrafosman on board, then this is something that you can do easily. Scheduling flexibility, so because there is no redistribution, then you can do whatever you want. So you can start imaging early after the injection, you can wait one, two hours after, or even more if there is any problem between the injection. You can do a same-day rest-stress injection sequence, you can do a same-day stress-rest injection sequence, you can do a two-day so it's uh, really uh, up to you, and it can be tailored to your practice, so it's very convenient. Uh, we can also uh, decrease the acquisition. So if needed, we can have a short-time acquisition because the photon flux is very high. So instead of using the standard 12, 12 minutes to 15 minute uh, acquisition time, you can decrease that, especially now with the new software, to, um, to, to, to be uh, able to decrease this imaging acquisition time. Also, there is no, uh, what I can call, image degradation for rapid redistribution, for example, with thallium or the upward uh, creep movement of the heart because we are still waiting 15 to 30 minutes after the injection, so it gives time, especially after a treadmill stress test, for the patient to stabilize his heart motion after the exercise within the thoracic cage. So, uh, and the same thing for respiratory movements with thallium, this, this was one of the problems. So because we start early after the injection, with technetium compound, this is not a real issue because there is no significant redistribution. And it has uh, become a major radiopharmaceutical uh, marketable perfusion imaging agent in practice. There are some limitations that we must consider also. The uh, linear relationship between the uptake and uh, coronary blood flow is much less linear than what we see with thallium. So I show you the curve, so there's a, a slight difference between the two. There are also uh, no significant macular redistribution, so we need to have two separate injections for complete diagnosis. Uh, although some center will do just a stress test, and if it seems totally normal, they're gonna do a, uh, they will not do a rest study. 
but it's very difficult to be sure that this is completely normal. So most of the time, we need two separate injections. And of course, if you have your own generator system in your lab, you need to do some labeling and QC procedures because that will be very important. Longer time interval between intravenous injection and imaging. So we have to modify the injection protocols. We have to modify the scheduling because we cannot do as we do with thallium. And in some patients, we have subdiaphragmatic activity coming from bowel loop or enterogastric reflux, uh, which will persist throughout the study. And that will give rise to a marker uh, artifacts when we do the spec studies. Now, tibaroxin, this is the agent that has been approved at the same time than with uh, system EB. The advantages of uh, tibaroxin, this is, a, again, a technician label agent, very high marketable extraction and uptake, very good uh, linear relationship between the uptake and coronary blood flow, very fast marketable washout. So it can be seen as advantage, but it can be seen also as a limitation. The advantage is that we can rapidly complete a study when we were using tibaroxin, we were able to complete a study within one hour. So because of this very fast washout, you can repeat the rest study after that. And, um, and if there is any mistake, if there is any problem, then you can repeat the injection and start again. And it's very good for pharmacologic stress because then you have a setup that the patient can be imaged very quickly after the injection. Why would a treadmill stress this? If it's not in the same lab uh, or same level, same floor, it can be more problematic. Limitation, as with technician system EB and with tetrophosmin, we have to do QCN procedures for the labeling. It has a very short half-life, uh, half so about seven to eight minutes. Uh, there is no room for technical mistakes, limited gated specs, so it was true several years ago. And again, uh, I think that with the new gamma camera, it will be feasible to do that. Uh, we had also persistent liver uptake, uh, so that was one of the problems. With a persistent liver uptake, that means that if the cardiac silhouette was very close to the liver, then it created some artifacts and some RAM filter artifact. And it has also a high initial long uptake, so there's uh, very difficult to do first pass study. Tetrophosmin, or my view, which is uh, very commonly used, uh, basically the advantages are very similar to those that we see with uh, system AB, but it has a faster liver clearance so we can decrease the uh, time interval between the injection and imaging, so that then that can be convenient for your imaging uh, protocols, especially after a rest or farm stress uh, vasodilation. So with uh, tetrophosmin, it's easier to decrease that imaging time interval. It has an easy labeling procedure, so you don't have to boil it. It's uh, just uh, wait and see. Limitation, it has a lower marketable extraction and uptake, about 15 to 20 percent, uh, 25 in some studies, less than system EB. So that means that if you inject a patient with system EB and if you inject the same patient with tetrophosmin, you're going to see a difference in the uptake of about 20 percent, 15 to 20 percent. The uh, relationship between the uptake and coronary blood flow is less linear than with tibaroxim or system EB or with thallium. And it has been shown to be less accurate than thallium and system EB with farm stress tests. And uh, we all think that it might be related to two factors, the uptake itself, but also the linear relationship. So the, uh, plateauing, the, the uh, plateauing effect at high flow rate is more important with uh, tetrophosmin than with system EB. And with farm stress, sometimes it will give uh, various uh, different. So this is an example here 
of a tetrophosmin, which seems uh, quite normal here. And the same patient with MIB, you can see a small inferolateral uh, defect in the uh, apical wall. So we've seen that in some patients, and uh, this is especially true if, again, the high flow rate, if the flow rate is significantly increased. Now, NOET, NOET is not approved. It's still the subject uh, of some research, uh, but to be honest, I don't think that we're gonna see that in uh, clinical practice. The advantages, it's technician label. It has a very high microbial extraction and uptake. Uh, there is microbial redistribution, so it's like thallium. So there is a microbial distribution, and this is the only one technician label agent that shows microbial redistribution. So we can use similar imaging protocols than thallium, and some studies have suggested that we can use for viability assessment. The limitation, very limited clinical experience. In fact, this agent never reached more than phase three because it's not approved. So the, the uh, clinical experience is very limited. It's not approved by the FDA. And there is a problem with the initial increased lung uptake and the persistent liver uptake. So this is a problem because again, for the inferoceptal wall, it creates significant uh, defect. So this is an example of a study. So in this protocol, what I did was to inject the patient at peak stress, do the NOET study, and then ask the patient to come back four hours later. And as you can see, there is a good degree of redistribution. So it's like with thallium, but the advantage of having technetium on board. But the problem, very significant liver uptake, which is persistent. So because of this persistency in some patient, it is a real uh, problem. And also, uh, there is an increased lung uptake, and uh, after few studies, uh, we have found that this increased lung uptake is related to the fact that the patient is smoker or not. So of course, since many patients having cardiac disease are smoker, you can uh, realize that we have many patients with this increased lung uptake, and in many patients, this increased lung up uptake was persistent. Now let's talk uh, briefly about marketable PET uh, tracers. Uh, basically, we have access to three agents, water labeled with oxygen 15, ammonia 13, or rubidium 82. So the half-life is quite different. So with oxygen, uh, with water, with oxygen 15, it's only two minutes. With ammonia, it's 9.8 minutes, and with rubidium, it's 75 seconds. So accordingly, the dose will vary. So for example, with uh, oxygen 15, we inject up to 100 millicurie, because the half-life is very short, only two minutes. With ammonia, we inject about seven to 20 millicuries. And with rubidium, we can do infusion of 20 to 60 millicuries. And again, this is because the 75 seconds uh, half-life. The mean positron range is also different. So for example, here with ammonia, it's only 0.7. So this is great because the action, the interaction between positron and electron is very short while if you compare with rubidium, it's 2.4 millimeter. And of course, because of that, that will decrease your resolution uh, with rubidium in comparison to the other. All of them are produced with cyclotron, so a hospital-based cyclotron, or a, a local uh, radiopharmaceutical company can provide uh, ammonia, but you can imagine that with 9.8 minutes, it's very, very, very short. So most of the time, these agents, you have no choice. You need to have your uh, cyclotron within the hospital or within the department, while rubidium will be with generator. So with the generator, again, half-life of 25 days, so basically you can do 
Uh, you can use the same generator for about four to six weeks. Now, if we look at all these uh, compounds separately, with uh, oxygen-15, uh, of course, it requires an on-site cyclotron. And uh, ideally, it's very close to the ideal criteria for the ideal agent because of this straight relationship between the uptake and the blood flow. So the extraction fraction uh, approach uh, unity and doesn't decline with higher flow. So even if you have a flow rate increased by five or six times the rest flow rate, you're going to have five to six times more uptake in the heart. Uh, it remains in the blood pool, so the images are of very poor quality with low target-to-background ratio. And this is the most important limitation of this agent, is that when you do studies, you have a good uptake in the heart. But the problem is that you see also inside the ventricle, and this is a major drawback. So this is why it's not suitable for clinical imaging. We use it for research. It's not FDA-approved, so it will not be reimbursed, and it's not uh, payable by Medicare. And it's used mostly to measure microbial blood flow in research studies. So we don't use oxygen-15 in clinical practice. For ammonia, it requires an uh, on-site cyclotron because of half-life of uh, nine minutes. Uh, excellent microbial uptake and retention. We inject a bolus of 10 to 20 millicuries. It's applicable to exercise or farm stress, so you can do both. It's established flow quantification ability. So this is something that when we do research, and we want to look at the flow um, quantification. This is a very good agent to do that. And it's uh, FDA approved. And it's, uh, it's, it has a half-life long enough for throughput efficiencies. But in some patients, we have increased lung retention, uh, frequent excess liver and bowel uptake. So this is not ideal agent for that. And lower counts in lateral wall in some uh, normal patients. So of course, that will create some variation in the studies. Rubidium-82, it has a half-life of 75 seconds. Uh, again, strontium generator. Uh, the radionuclide is always available, so it uh, facilitates, facilitates the add-on. Uh, we can reimage in minutes if technical problems. Uh, it, the kinetics of rubidium is very likely like thallium-201 because this is the same uh, family of compound, very high extraction at the high flow rate. It's FDA-approved. And uh, it's technically, technically challenging, though, uh, especially for stress. It's very difficult to do. Um, so most of the time, we're going to use that with uh, farm stress. Uh, flow quantification, uh, although some papers start to, uh, to rise in literature, it's not well validated so far if you compare to uh, nitrogen. Now the, now, the advantages of PET perfusion, image quality is very good. Diagnostic accuracy, risk stratification, rapid procedure. We can also add some information like blood flow, uh, calcium scoring if you use a coronary CT at the same time. So it can be very uh, useful. But even if we think that we have very good agent, there are still uh, many uh, researchers being performed to try to find other agents, especially for PET, uh, but this time labeled to fluorine 18 because this is an agent that we know pretty well. So all the current agents are approved, uh, but they, they have some limitations. Uh, less than optimal first pass extraction, roll off phenomenon. So this is the, the phenomenon I told you before at high flow rate. Inability to quantify flow reserve in routine clinical setting. So this is not something that we do on a routine basis. 
and inability to diagnose balance ischemia. So this is a typical case that we think that perfusion study is normal, but if we had have had a quantification uptake on the heart, we would have been able to make this uh, diagnosis. So if we look at the ideal PET agent characteristics, it should be available as unit dose from a regional cyclotron, so if it's possible, labeled to F18. Eye extraction fraction, relative, uh, relatively good linearity with uh, hyperemia. Um, we know that the positron energy of the F18 is very good and potential for both rest stress, farm stress imaging, and also for absolute quantification. So this is something that we're looking for. So just to give you one example, there's an ongoing study, a phase three ongoing study on the fluoropyridase. So this is a, a agent labeled with F18 that will, uh, that will be uh, taken up by these sites into the mitochondria, and that will give an increased uptake. And when you look at the comparison between, uh, for example, system EB or thallium, you can see that linear relationship is much better than what we saw with the other technetium labeled compound. So this is an example. In pigs, you can see that fluoropyridase show a very high uptake in the heart. And in humans, you can see very good marketable uptake. So it will be very interesting to see in the future uh, how it will uh, behave, but so far the results are very interesting. So if we compare F18 versus rubidium, so you can see here unit dose, here it's generator, cyclotron produced, reactor derived. The range of the F18 is only 0.18 in comparison to 0.56 and up to two. And it has a moderate half-life of uh, two hours versus 1.25 minutes. And the extraction is very low in comparison to the rubidium. So again, that will be interesting to see in the future what will happen with this agent. So in conclusion, there are very, uh, various numbers of technetium-labeled perfusion imaging agents. They all have different imaging and biological characteristics, the same thing for PET imaging agent. Uh, of course, we have different injection and imaging protocols, and uh, uh, you have seen and you will see in this uh, symposium all the various possibilities. Of course, it's always interesting to have more head-to-head -head comparative studies, uh, but what is more important is that all these various agents and various protocols uh, will increase the role of nuclear cardiology, and we hope that it will be for the best. Thank you very much for your attention.